Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. The year is 1995. I'm a college student in rural Indiana, and it's just a few weeks before my graduation. There are only a few more days to create lasting memories with my friends. So one night, a few of us pile into our friend Dave's Toyota 4Runner and go to Pizza Hut. And on our way back to campus, he says, watch this. And he presses the accelerator to the floor as we approach a set of railroad tracks. And sure enough, when we hit that bump, all four wheels of that SUV leave the ground. And for a moment, we're flying. And it's glorious. We land without incident, and we go back to campus. And that should have been the end of the story. But about a week later, I volunteer to drive that same group to Pizza Hut for dinner. And as I'm driving back, I say to my friends, watch this. And I slam the gas pedal to the floor to show my friends that I, too, can make my car fly. There's only one problem. I'm not driving a Toyota 4Runner. I'm driving a 1991 Oldsmobile Cutlass Calais. And when we hit the air, we take flight that is both higher and longer than the one that we took in Dave's car. And when we land, we land hard. I don't know if you know this, but the seatbelts in your vehicle are designed to, to lock up and restrain when you, when you kind of hit impact. And I, I swear I had a bruise on my collarbone by the time I got back to campus. About three months later, I had taken a job in the Detroit area as a youth pastor, and my car started to act a little bit weird. And I took it into the mechanic, and he said, you're leaking coolant. Come back in a couple days, and we'll be able to send you home. And when I picked up the car, he goes, I don't know what happened to your vehicle, but something violent has happened to your undercarriage. There's scratches and scars, and the and the hoses are just like ripped out with intense force. And for the life of me, I, I couldn't remember what would have caused that. And then a couple of days later, the light bulb went on, and I go, oh, no. <laughs> uh, the reason that my car got destroyed is because I jumped those railroad tracks, and, and it bottomed out with, with a ton of force when I landed. Have you ever had moments where you thought something was a good idea at a time, and you look back at it later and you go, yeah, that, that was not wisdom. See, I graduated with honors that year, but having intelligence and having wisdom are not the same. And if you have to choose between being smart and being wise, choose wisdom always. Scripture tells us in the book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This passage reminds me that wisdom is the lens through which we view every crucial relationship in our lives. It informs our view of ourselves, our view of others, and our view of God. And that's why the pursuit of wisdom matters. Let's go back to that list for a moment. Wisdom leads to a clear view of me. Verse 13 says, Wisdom is revealed by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom generates humility, and humility generates good fruit. 
The fruit of humility is generosity, compassion, and service of others. The fruit of foolishness is greed, lust, and service to self. A few weeks ago, I was asked to do a question and answer session with a middle school youth group at a church, and one of the students asked me a very intriguing question. He goes, why do people follow Satan? And I remember responding, I don't think most people follow Satan. They just simply follow themselves. And this reminded me of a visit to the Holy Land that I took with some friends to a town called Caesarea Philippi. It's a region in northern Israel. And 2,000 years ago, this was a place of widespread pagan worship. There were temples and altars and shrines to all sorts of deities, gods, and goddesses. And it's here that Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they have different answers. And Then Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you're the Messiah. You're the chosen one, the son of the living God. Now, it's a beautiful moment of humility and clarity for Peter. And it's a powerful place to visit and reflect on that same question. When I was there with friends, we noticed an alcove that was cut into the rock wall against the side of the mountain. It seems that centuries ago, it was a perfect place to put an image, a statue, a stone idol. So I jumped up on that shelf and I said to my friends, look at me, I'm an idol. (laughs) And I still laugh when I look at the picture that my friends took of that moment. But what's not so funny is that I create that moment more than I want to admit. When given the choice to humble myself or elevate myself, I often choose elevation. When given the choice to give grace to somebody who's stumbled or to judge them, I often choose self-righteous judgment. And in a conflict, when I'm given the choice to suspend ego and speak kindness, I often find myself lashing out in anger. I'm acting like I'm the God. I'm the idol. I'm the center of the universe at that moment. See, foolishness powers through life with pride, but wisdom cultivates humility that presents itself in good deeds. If you were to watch the footage of your life and choices this last week, what would your deeds tell you about what you value? See, wisdom says, I know who I am and I know who I'm not. Humility grounds me in a healthy sense of self. My friend Mark Laberton used to pastor a church in Berkeley, California, and he said that part of their weekly ritual is that they would look at each other and say, I am not God and you are not God. Now, it sounds silly to say out loud, but it's a, it is a fun and helpful reminder about who God is and who we are and who we are not. See, wisdom leads me to a clear view of who I am, and wisdom also leads me to a clear view of who you are. Verses 14 through 16 in James 3 says, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic, And where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. See, Scripture says that foolishness isn't silliness. Foolishness is dangerous. If wisdom results in humility and proves it with good deeds, then foolishness leads to bitter envy and selfish ambition and results in chaos and violence. 
James doesn't pull any punches here. He says that envy and ambition are demonic. I'd always thought that demonic activity was related to occult practices. But James says that evidence of demonic activity is selfish ambition, the kind of life that runs over other people, that destroys marriages or families or churches in an attempt to achieve its own purposes. Selfish ambition doesn't see people as partners, but as threats to our own personal agenda. Take a minute to think about God's first set of instructions to his people. Some people have called this the the Ten Commandments. They're designed to create a system that guards against selfish ambition and bitter envy. And the first chunk of the Ten Commandments talk about how to honor God and honor parents, how to submit to people who are in authority over us. But the second half of the Ten Commandments talk about how to regulate our temptation towards ambition and envy towards others. When God says don't kill, he's reminding us that people are images of God, not obstacles to our desires. Sometimes you'll hear somebody in a criminal confession say, well, well, I had to take out so-and-so. They were in my way. When God says don't steal, he's saying, hey, what's, what's yours is yours and what's somebody else's is somebody else's. Love and humility is to honor another person, their boundaries and their possessions. But sometimes when we hear that somebody stole something, they say, well, I took it because that person had something that I needed. When Scripture says, don't don't slander another person, don't bear false witness against them, it's saying that truth is key for community. Wisdom is to honor another person's reputation. But ambition says, well, I had to destroy their character. I had to bring them down a notch because they were in my way. When God says, don't commit adultery... He's saying wisdom is to honor your marriage and to honor somebody else's. Foolishness, ambition, envy says they have something that I want, so I'm just going to go and take it. And when Scripture says don't covet, basically it's saying wisdom is to be content with what we have. Foolishness looks around and says I I want that person's life, and I deserve that person's life because they don't know that I'm unhappy, and if I can want what they have, Everything will be better. When I was in graduate school, I was taking a study break, and I came across a show called The First 48. It follows homicide detectives in a particular city. And in short, almost every homicide in the show was either a crime of passion or a crime of greed. Somebody lashed out in violence because they believed that somebody else took something or connected with someone else that belonged to them. And when James says selfish ambition and bitter envy lead to the worst kinds of evil, he's not speaking hyperbolically. He's not exaggerating. That's a true statement. So let me ask you this question. Is there any evidence of self-centered ambition in your life this week? Are there any traces of bitter envy? If so... Name those, check those, and repent of those, because James says that these are the gateway to disorder and every evil practice. Wisdom helps us understand ourselves. Wisdom helps us understand each other. and Wisdom leads us to a clear view of God. James 3, verses 17 and 18 say, The wisdom that comes from heaven is wisdom that looks like God. It's pure, it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, 
full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So think about your own life. Are your actions reflecting that you're pure in body, mind, and motive? Do your actions reveal you to be a person who is peace-loving? That when you have conflict with the people around you, are you, are you building bridges to restore those relationships, or are you burning them? Because you care more about your comfort and your need to be right than you do about that person and their relationship. Are you considerate? Is your first impulse to think about the needs of others before your own? Are you submissive? both to God and to the other people in your life. Ephesians 5 says that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do we have such a high view of God and such a high view of others that we will submit our desires to theirs when we are called to do so? Are we full of mercy and good fruit? Because the scriptures say that Jesus is overflowing with mercy. I often find myself running in a very short supply of mercy, but I want I want to look more like Jesus than I do now. Are we impartial? Are we unbiased? Are we sincere? Are we committed to the truth? And are we peacemakers? I love that verse. It says, "Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." And I wonder if the reason why some of us aren't seeing that harvest of righteousness in our homes, in our friendships, and in our nation is because we didn't sow seeds of peace. Proverbs 13.20 says this, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. I had a youth pastor once who told me, Steve, you are who you run with. And so my challenge to you is, if you find yourself struggling with discernment, then one of the ways that you can become wise is by walking with the wise. And there's three suggestions that I have for you on what that could look like. The ultimate source of wisdom is, is God himself. So if we want to become wise, we can walk with our creator. Pastor and author Dr. Timothy Keller says that if you go to the Bible for wisdom in an emergency and you, you say, I need to be wise today, and you read one verse, he's like, you won't, you won't be wise in one day. He goes, but if you walk with God daily, if you engage the scriptures over the course of six months, you will cultivate a pathway of wisdom. So wisdom takes time to grow and develop and mature. But if you make a commitment to walking with God, reading the scriptures, listening to God every day, wisdom will be more true of your life in six months than it is today. So one of the ways that you can walk with the wise is to walk with your creator. Another suggestion is to walk with a mentor. If you've got an area of your life that you're struggling with, ask this question, who is modeling wisdom in that area in such a way that you are inspired by it, you admire it? Who's, who's walking in wisdom in their career or their spiritual journey or their marriage or their parenting or their generosity? Consider asking them for coffee this week to see what you can learn from them. And then next month, do it again, either with them or with somebody else. And I have found in my life that if I ask for wisdom before I need it, it will help me develop a posture of humility. 
So walk with your creator, walk with mentor, and then finally walk with an advisor. Who are some trusted friends who can speak into your life these days? Who has permission to speak truth into your actions and behavior without being asked or invited? Who is examining the fruit of your life to make sure it's being born out of humility and wisdom and not selfish ambition and bitter envy? A professor that I had in college, his name was Dr. James Collymore, and he would always he had this great line. He said, I'm not a judge. He goes, I'm not, I'm not guessing the motives of your heart. Only God can do that. He goes, but I am a fruit inspector. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at your actions and I'm determining if that's healthy fruit or unhealthy fruit if it's life-giving or if it's rotten. So if you're in a season of life where you know that you are stuck and need wisdom, ask for an advisor. It could be a peer or it could be a counselor. I've learned the hard way over the course of my life that healthy people ask for help. And if you're stuck and you need a, a coach to help you get unstuck or you need a counselor to help you heal from hurt so that you can move forward, then by all means, please reach out to us at Winning at Home, winningathome.com. You can call the office, talk to one of our intake specialists and say, I need wisdom in an area of my life that I can't, I can't seem to get unstuck. Can, can I meet with a therapist, a clinician, or a coach who can help me take a next step? So if your life is at all like mine, you find that every day is a day that we need wisdom. And when we live in a world that is chaotic and confusing and combative, the hard stuff can sometimes be finding out what is right and true and wise. And the good news is that God wants to give us that wisdom. Earlier in the book of James, it says that God gives generously to all without finding fault. So if you're, if you're feeling overwhelmed, don't be afraid. God loves to answer prayers for wisdom, and he's going to give you exactly what you need to take your next step. Thanks so much for joining us on Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you've got questions, concerns, or prayer requests, you can reach out to our office or you can email me directly, steve at winningathome.com. You can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook as well and would love to hear how we can be helpful to you. If you've got ideas or suggestions for episodes, please make sure you send those our way. Otherwise, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.